episode. You're going to lead the way and become our most prominent co-host at this rate, if we keep it up, and I, I hope you do. Uh, we are living in a different world, under a world of war in Europe. Who, who would have thought this could happen in the 21st century, Robert? What do you think? I'm shocked, actually. We had an episode where we talked about Onuka, and I mentioned that I lived in Ukraine for a year and then visited several times afterwards, and it never would have occurred to me that these places would be fired upon and under attack. With regard to music, though, I'm a big fan of Ukrainian music, so I put mm -hmm. together a playlist uh, last week of some of my favorites of, of Ukrainian music. But, you know, the truth is I like Russian music, too. I really do. For sure. For sure. And I might contrast Russian music with Ukrainian music as Russian music is very cynical and mm -hmm. very commercial, unapologetically commercial. Ukrainian music is a little bit more lyrical and dreamy and all that, more about love and Russian music is like that, but made to formula. But mm -hmm. it's been really surreal the last few weeks because, like, just for example, there's a singer. I love her. Natalia Moholescu. I ha I happen to have been fortunate enough to see her perform like in the first week I lived in Ukraine. And she's a wonderful singer. No one's ever heard of her in the West. And I kind of follow her stuff. And, you know, I don't understand the language that well. But she just put on YouTube like two hours ago a message in English to uh, Joe Biden and for us to tell Joe Biden to do the no-fly zone and come to the rescue and not allow the Russian wow. bombs. And it was really stirring in a way and unexpected. At the mm -hmm. same time, CNN had a, a story about one of Russia's most famous rap singers. He had a video where apparently, and it was totally, it was apolitical and in, in kind of a way, I don't care and I don't give a crap about anything. He's in a car and people are asking him for stuff. And at the end of it, somebody plays a audio message, which is an actual message from the mother of his best friend who lives in Ukraine. who was telling about the terrible conditions there. And that's seen as, quote, controversial. I was very curious about how the Russian singers are handling this to the West. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Russian singers are very worldly. The one thing that I noticed is there's a singer called Zimfiro, who was just this wonderful kind of rowdy rock legend who became popular in the 90s and in the 2000s. And she's sort of a rebel. And I just kind of happened to go to her YouTube channel. And what she did, she re-released a live recording of her singing a famous Ukrainian song. And she didn't have to say anything. And it's like, that's how Russians indicate their opinion in a society where they can't really speak out that much. Protesters are getting yeah thrown in jail by the thousands. Yeah, go ahead. Little Big, who is this? <laughs> I can't describe how incredible they are. They're just factories, song factories and music mm -hmm. video factories. And they didn't really do anything. And yet uh, on uh, Twitter, they 
they put some message about peace and, you know, not even saying no war, just saying, you know, we're peaceful or something like that. In Ukraine, a lot of the musicians have mobilized in support of talking to the world to tell us what's going on or asking us to donate. And it really breaks my heart to hear this and see this. But, you know, then again, that's what you would expect musicians to do. For example, Eurovision's coming up in May. For me, it's I'm always interested in this. And we have a Eurovision subreddit on Reddit. And mm -hmm. they've kind of agreed not to talk about politics in this subreddit, even though once in a while it gets through. And the main question is, is Russia going to be in Eurovision or not? And it turns out Russia was taken out. They're not mm -hmm. allowed to participate, which is kind of a big deal. FIFA can do it. I would expect Eurovision, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was a vigorous debate on this forum. It was like, well, Eurovision, that's been their, their tenant. They want this to be a safe space outside of politics. And even though during the Yugoslav conflict. The countries of Yugoslavia and Yugoslavia didn't participate and maybe one other country didn't participate, but generally they try to stay out of it. But this has just affected everybody. And so, you know, mm -hmm. it's unavoidable. But the big question they were asking is there's a singer called Verka Serduka. He is a cross-dressing man who dresses up in the, and he did this outrageous song in 2009 where he was a, a dance song and he was just being insulting in several different languages and hilarious and he's everyone's favorite singer and they were saying where the heck is he when is he safe and everybody in ukraine is required to serve their country in some way and all the men have patriotic thing to do he's working on some committee in some town to distribute ice so even musicians are getting involved so it's been surreal for me as a, a fan of ukrainian music i can't imagine how it is for other singers who are american or british you have a lot of sympathies. I know Sting released a song about it. All men aged 18 to 60. I don't know if you make the cut anymore, but uh, I sure wouldn't want to be fighting in a war. <laughs> I mean... Or musician or otherwise. <laughs> I've kind of been watching and listening and reading too much of the news, but now everything is a meme with sad music or let's rail against the Russians. And I'm, I have this anger, random anger toward Russians, but I, intellectually I know it's not everybody. But I'm trying to get my Chinese students on board to try to mediate a little bit more and they abstained in the UN vote. I think it was 141 to 5 condemnation and please pull back immediately full well, you know, withdrawal. And, and I'm speaking only of the music. I assume that Europeans are really fine with Russian music in general. I guess music really does have a lot of significance in pop culture and our ability to translate messages. And I guess the fact that we can have subtitles for everything makes it a lot easier for songs to communicate political and social messages or protest. And that's a good mm -hmm. thing, I guess. Should be. Knowing what people are singing about is nice, especially if it's substantial, <laughs> if it's poetry, etc. Sure. You had sent me that YouTube video of that person from Malaysia, Namewe. I don't know how to say Namewe, yeah. I don't know. He's a dope. He's, he's a dope genius who does a lot of songs with sort of political overtone. Not really. He's just a clown. He's more of a clown. And I don't think people <laughs> take him seriously. But if he were to make a song about Ukraine or Russia, you know, 
I, he, he's the kind of person that would. I mean, it's sort of like Eminem. If there's something going on, you know, that's inner city, affects inner city people, he would be right on it. He, and maybe not, he's not into foreign policy issues, foreign fo- policy protests, but that's where he relates to. Sting is probably more in terms of international issues. And, you know, some singers are, are that way. Namely, he's another type. And Russia has a good tradition of singers who had kind of messages. They were kind of folk singers and they were very simple. There was one person, oh, Alexander Rosenbaum. Oh, that's wonderful. Now we can put him in the yeah, liner yeah. notes. He's a, no, I know him. Yeah, sure. Have you really heard of him? Oh, yeah, wonderful. I've got, I've got an album. Let me just look oh, it up. Which wonderful. One. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, he, is, he protested about Afghanistan and more more about the life of the soldier. And that was in the 70s. And I think it was the 70s and the 80s. So Russia does have some people who do sort of protests, I guess. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I don't think that's true. I, but who knows? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, and maybe Russians, their internet's going to be turned off. They're using Telegram still. And I don't, do any of your students use Telegram? Uh, no, no. I don't know if that's allowed in China. But uh, Okay. Okay. Well, that seems to be the popular app of the moment and maybe the way that, you know, culture is being shared. Anyway, so it's just very interesting to see how it affects the world of music, you know, both in the receiving end and from the sending end. We might have to do a whole episode special uh, scheduled digression on songs of war or something to uh, yeah, golly. protest songs and peace songs and songs about actually being in war. I think I might have made a mix or two of it, but I don't know if, uh, if you feel like collaborating on it in the future. Dude, I'm, I'm on it. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, this uh, now you got me thinking. Let's do it sometime. All right. Next time. All right. I think that was a, a long enough intro and we should get into our actual album picks we kind of went on a little break from formula and took uh, two albums by doleful lions the 2002's out like a lamb and also their most recent one from um, very recent from december 2021 called look homeward angel numbers so we'll start with doleful lions and then we'll talk about sabbath and savalas after that and uh, probably just one album of theirs first for out like a lamb the basic specs or it's 14 minutes long it's a full hour and one minute long 61 minutes very long whereas the 20 to 21 album is 10 tracks in 37 minutes the earlier album is on parasol records which we'll talk about when we transition between picks as i mentioned it is on all music guide and highly rated with uh, six rankings how would you would like to start with doleful lions i guess just about the random way i stumbled upon them <laughs> mm-hmm. that would be the first and I, I guess i say them but i i guess it is a group but mm-hmm. i was just looking at trolling and band cap specials and this was a name your price and apparently sure. all the albums are name your price let me go on the record and say this is one of the best rock bands to have all of its catalog at name your price I if you can yeah, find a better yeah. one, let me know. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of like being greedy, saying, okay, well, I'll pick five albums to download and, <laughs> you know, download a, a, a dollar each. And then I pick some more. And the quality sort of varies. I mean, they, you know, some of them are sort of repetitive. Some of them are live. And I thought that this one was the most polished. It was one of, one of their early albums. And I was listening to it before we are getting ready for today. And I was remarking about how beautiful it was produced. It just mm-hmm. sounds... Sounds mm-hmm. remarkable. I mean, the singer's good and the lyrics are great, but sounds very indie. sounds very sunny. Great uh, mix and there's a lot of shimmering involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to think of people to compare it to and the, my first thought was the group yeah, of, Montreal. of Montreal. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> 
they they have a catalog. They they're sort of chameleons, I guess. Some of Doleful Lion's albums are a little bit like that as well. They're more rocky or the sunny or more psychedelic. And so I, I definitely got a sense of each album is going to be different and they're trying to reinvent themselves. I was mm-hmm. also thinking of Paul Simon, of all people. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And Simon and Garfunkel's on, on my list there. Some of the songs on the early album definitely were of that ilk. Uh, one of the songs, I think it was 1723, that had a female voice. They don't have credits on, for that one. Good voice. I think she was on two of the songs. And she's kind of had a Cass Elliot sound to it as well. There were certain harmonies and, and all. But mainly long, soulful, starting out with guitars. I didn't really pay attention to the uh, lyrics on the first time around, but the lyrics, I was studying them right before our talk today, and I was really stunned at how well written they were, and I, I made point to one or two examples. So I'll leave it at that. What did this singer remind you of? Yeah, in terms of the singer, I didn't focus on him too much. I, I think in terms of song structure, yeah, I, I agree that he's a real master of, of blending all kinds of things together, and intros and outros and bridges, I think especially, which really evolved of the 60s and that's, that's why I brought that's up a brilliant, the, that's a brilliant remark yeah you're ex- absolutely right that's you're exactly right about that well and cool then, and maybe <laughs> maybe you know maybe it's him maybe it's he had a good producer but there's enough albums that I guess it had to be him <laughs> mm-hmm. and this person in name, terms of Jonathan right? Scott is that his name I think yes that, that's yeah. a, that's one of the actual minor similarities between uh, coincidences between our picks is that there are Scots involved in both and uh, <laughs> save the other for later but for in terms of harmonies I think it's a very big part of this first album and uh, that's why I brought up the Everly Brothers is apparently the two part harmonies even before Simon and Garfunkel is apparently the Everly Brothers were not the creators of it obviously because they were channeling uh, they've got an album called Songs My Daddy Taught Us or something so there are a lot of a lot of there, but in terms of popularizing two-part harmonies, Doleful Lions must be harmonizing with himself mostly. And you did mention yeah, there a couple, yeah. a couple songs with female vocalists on here. I think that's the only album. And actually, I think there was one song that there was a chorus singing in the background near the end. The genre? What uh, what kind of rock is this? It is rock, not folk. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Please don't, uh, whoever's listening to, to this, react the wrong way. The first song of that album called Saturday Mansions. The first thing I thought, this is boring rock. It's like just (laughs) straight rock, unadorned. He ends it on a really good note with singing and it was very traditional, very easy to comprehend rock music. Some of these songs are, I don't want to say boring, but they're interesting, mel- they're interesting <laughs> melodies that you recognize them. Oh, yeah, I kind of know what kind of song this is. I, I always am nostalgic about my subscription to CMJ Magazine, a college music journal in the, in the 90s and 2000s. And I heard a lot of songs. This style seemed to be very popular in CMJs, kind of winging it, kind of a garage band sound but also being psychedelic, more psychedelic than you thought would be possible for a rock band. But great thing about this album is 
And maybe it's just the Texas in me that's recognizing this, but there's a little bit of country ballads at work here. Most obviously with the uh, song called Texas is Beautiful, which... I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah. It, I <laughs> you did, might, you did, might have a little bias there yourself, but... Well, ahead. you know, I didn't even notice that that was the title of the song until I was listening to it today. There was another song, and, and I kind of said, this sounds like Jimmy Dale Gilmore, this country singer who has kind of a lilting, faraway sadness a dreamy country <laughs> you know we have dream pop but it had a kind of a dreamy country sound and i, I well, kind of like that leave it to the texan to hear the country in it i was actually hesitant to put the everly brothers on there because i thought they were too country to be comparable but okay i didn't hear country and if and country usually turns me off and and offends me <laughs> so I'm, I'm fair enough <laughs> I can list off a bunch of things that other people said. The Chicago Reader says that they're power pop. I'll link the reviews in in the show notes. Uh, They get lumped in also with jangle pop. I think that was more your era, like the 80s and 90s jangle pop. I never really understood it. The Guardian, the famous well-known British source, says it is, quote, a delicate psychedelic masterpiece. So that's some high praise there. Finally, another place said it is understated, I quote, with subtle layering. And finally, I would settle on alternative psychedelic rock. Notable, I think, for keeping an acoustic guitar even when mixing in electronic elements. The acoustic guitar really features more than I would expect for a rock album. Especially, I don't know, psychedelic rock, you don't necessarily think... You think acoustic guitars are the the domain of folk music or folk rock at most. And I wouldn't even call this folk rock. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's more psychedelic, neither here nor there. There's a little bit of that, I guess, that San Francisco song from the 60s. It kind of had are, this kind are of— you, Are you going to San Francisco? Yeah, that that song. Okay. <laughs> uh, I forget the name Boy, of the that's singer. On, that's on pretty much on every movie from that era. <laughs> Where but it was, sort of, it was sort of the flower power, the laid back, everything is wonderful feel. Maybe the lyrics are a little bit more jarring and cynical. <laughs> I don't know how much you really plunge into the lyrics, but there was one lyric, I think it was a song called Lazarus or Dear Lazarus, mm-hmm. and, and it was saying, are you happy that you came back to life? <laughs> Jaded, it kind of co- goes against the musical style, but that's mm-hmm. the fun of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you know me, I, I pay almost no attention to lyrics. There are definitely some songs I like more than others. Nothing I skip on this. In terms of what you didn't want to say boring, I, I said that Dear Lazarus and the title track were kind of a snooze of, of 60s folk. Those are low lights for the albums. And the, and the hidden track, Jesus Christ, I just a guy with a guitar, and I think it's been done. Doesn't detract from the, the ambition of, I mean, who makes 60-minute rock albums anymore? An impressive vision, at very least. And I think okay, he, he I does just have realize to, it a lot of times. I just had to read a couple of lyrics from the Dear Lazarus. Dear Lazarus, uh, and that was the person who uh, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Were you grateful when he rolled the stone away or had the stench of days swallowed your chance to live again? Dear Lazarus, was your sadness secrets rotting on the vine or had the merchant of time swallowed your chance to live again? Oh, dear Lazarus, in your slumber, you walk with seraphim and kiss the sacred keepers. You swam in holy oceans, a scythe of demon reapers. Okay, okay, we're not getting to an end part, but <laughs> It's just what an what an interesting premise for a song, and and actually the next song was about Spartacus and the the Roman period, and one of them was about ten a lot, which I don't really know, but it was some sort of mystical figure, I, uh, maybe in Eastern religion. But I guess I did appreciate that. <laughs> 
there you go with your mythology again, sir. <laughs> yeah. I know it's a, an interest of yours. So, I mean, David Bowie has sung about Lazarus, obscure band called Bread and Circuses. There's a singing Lazarus. What was it like? I think it seems to be a pretty inspiring theme. A lot of people have sung about or had a theme of, of the story of Lazarus, I think. A Lazarus Taxon by Tortoise is another album. I could go on and on. <laughs> impressive, there. impressive. I'm impressed. David Byrne, David Byrne and St. Vincent from the album uh, Love This Giant have a song oh. called Lazarus. Oh, so. my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to listen just, to that I'm, one. I'm just searching through my iTunes here. So. <laughs> okay, okay. He has inspired many a crooner, apparently. No, but other other than that, so I guess that's a song I should be listening to the lyrics rather than the one the guy harmonizing over acoustic guitar balladry, as you mentioned. So not, not my favorite songs on the album. Some of the songs, they have similar styles. I've listened to some of the other albums, and I see some repetitions in it. But this one, most of them are different. And certainly in terms of lyrics, they, they all had their different subject matter. But I think that's fair to say that some of the melodic formulas they're straightforward <laughs> mm-hmm. they're not hiding anything nothing uh, too out there despite being psychedelic so that's the other thing i think that pitchfork in reviewing this album pitchfork i think is always self-aggrandizing and ostentatious in its writing but they usually have one or two really good lines in it pitchfork reviews two of their albums none neither of which is our album pick and that i think they they really encapsulate the band and says that uh, doleful lions are quote a neo-psych band that never did enough drugs <laughs> Bravo. And, uh, that was, I but thought that really know how it captured is. it. Music, yeah. music critics get too fond of making a phrase like that. <laughs> but what does that mean? You know, yeah, yeah. Okay, well. Then he's been toiling away in obscurity for over 20 years, and I have to wonder what motivates him. I mean, he's not going to get famous or make a lot of money doing this, and especially not on a name your price basis on Bandcamp. Who knows? No, it's, a, it's, a, it's in that category, and I, I want to talk about it a little bit. It's in a category of good but not great albums. I mean, do you think these are great albums? Have you has any of them been like the one a masterpiece that the Guardian said? I think this album was pretty great. The others are of an even quality. I haven't really listened to them that carefully. The latest one just sounded more the same, but more developed, deeper in a way. Nothing wrong. Tom Petty, all of his songs have a sameness to them in a way. So, you know, you can't yank on him for... Tom Petty was a different era of a different era when the 80s, you could just be a rock band and you didn't have to modify, I'm this kind of rock, that kind of rock. Everybody likes Tom Petty because he was just a great rock artist. And I think now in the 21st century, if you're going to be psychedelic, Again, we're psychedelic revival. You gotta lay into it a little bit harder on on some of the the songs. Either be a harder rock or be super trippy and psychedelic. And on Texas is beautiful, for example, which I think uh, is the longest song on the album. And it's that's yeah. the opportunity to be like this is this could be the psychedelic masterpiece center point of the album. And uh, you know, there's a crescendo. There's a big fanfare at the end. And the quote that I want to go from that is that once you've crossed into electronic sitars, there's no turning back. You've committed. <laughs> And, but at the same time, you're doing electronic sitars rather than the real thing. I mean, you know, you could up the production budget and get some real sitars in there and you extend the track 10 minutes longer or something to be like the, the coda. This is the final realization of the psychedelic vision of this band. I don't think he ever goes there. So it's like uh, middle gears of tempo and how psychedelic are you? 
What do you think? Well, I mean, I think you're using it as a straight jacket. You're saying <laughs> the singer is psychedelic and therefore every song must meet some absurd criteria. <laughs> yeah, sure. It doesn't yeah. have to be excess, but I think there should be one song where this is where you let it all out. And I think Texas is Beautiful is that song. It's a very yeah. expansive song, yeah. I still and feel it's restrained, though. Maybe, maybe. Or I Can Take You to the Sun. There's a lot of emotion in that chorus. And, you know, at least three of the song's titles have sun in them or sing about the sunniness. The sun is not subtle. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah. And you say straightforward, you're, you get burned by it and burn us with your vision, I guess. You're and to be that. fair, that was 2002. Their first album was in late 1990s. The other one that we talked about in relation to it is 2021. <laughs> So that's 19 mm-hmm. years later. You kind of evolve a sensibility. True. And I don't know how old he is. I assume he's late 50s, kind of like me. I'm a 56 or maybe even his 60s. I saw him singing on YouTube, but that was 2009. And I have no idea. I guess you just have to give somebody credit for just being in the business for so long. And maybe he's just in Chicago, does touring sort of in his region in the clubs that know him. But okay, I think I read that he moved to North Carolina, but yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. It, it, it just all seems a little bit tame for me. I, I could play it from my grandparents, which is a good thing, but it's not going to make it a you know the best example I can think of of psychedelic rock. I, mean, I could I could see it on the Austin Powers movie soundtrack, you know, and that is not a compliment. But uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, tame is a fair word as any. I called it boring rock, but kind of humorously. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes t- being tame is the key to longevity. You know, Elton John is a lot of things. He's done some pretty kind of smashing funky song so that's not really a comparison but I'm not that familiar enough with this guy's albums to be able to say he has he's not trying to do the same things but my last movie reference for this pick and what keeps me from giving it the the status that it deserves I can recognize that the vision it's a long psychedelic rock album and it's good I can't say it's great because anything that Christopher Guest has done a send-up of I think or heavy metal or a psychedelic rock from the 60s or folk music and all of their stuff. The early Spinal Tap, quote-unquote, song, Listen to the Flower People. Oh, that that wonderful tune, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think they do a great job of sending up the entire decade or two, possibly, of that music. And now, can I take anything seriously that anyone else does trying to revive that sound? I don't know. Keeps me from a full embrace, I guess, is what I'd say. That's fine. And there's a sense that you listen to it, and I've listened to some of the other albums, and they're all kind of good. This one, I had more magical moments than the other albums, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of why I singled it out, but they're all interesting, and I'm just going to preview the album that we're going to talk about next. I wasn't really that impressed initially hearing it, and then because I've had a chance to listen to it, and you can find wealth of details, and you can appreciate things, even if your initial reaction wasn't overwhelmingly positive. I'm convinced there's enough here to enjoy over time, and this is going to be on my permanent rotation now. Maybe not for you, but that's... I don't want to say I don't like it or anything. I'm just saying, you know, good but not great. Are we ready to move on to the 2021 album then? Sure, but I don't really have much to say. Okay, nope. I just want to mention one random thing about Bandcamp. I don't know if I mentioned this by email. They were getting bought out by a gaming company, something like that. And there was a lot of concern whether that would hurt the artist and that kind of freewheeling style and the embrace of the independent artist. Reading between the lines, 
my reason for loving that deal is that maybe that might help indie artists get their songs in movies and commercials and such. That's what Bandcamp was not doing. Doleful Lions, some of these riffs are really beautiful. It'd be nice if they could have that as a catalog to search through stuff to put on movies and TV shows and, you know, incidental music. Getting back to the album, you know, when you're on Bandcamp, in a way you feel invisible, but another way, I think sometimes Bandcamp artists price themselves too high. A lot of work is worth your sweat and your your inspiration, but you need to make it more accessible. And I really do appreciate that. That's been a strategy and hopefully it kind of gains him a reputation over time, even though it's going to be slower than if uh, he had a major label. Uh, One of the reviews said that he never got out of the spotlight. He's been so consistent in producing albums that sometimes with indie artists, if they go away for a time, then you feel nostalgic about them and hearing again. So the Doleful Lions just never went away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but there's no window of reappreciation. Maybe sort of there's just consistently enjoyable and likable and good. But are they over the hill and they're not going to suddenly become popular unless, like you say, they get the licensing and to be in a video game and that's where the real money is. I don't know. Could be. So any songs stick out to you on look? Homeward Angel Numbers, which I think is a very difficult and random title to try to remember. <laughs> I just sort of skim that. I like it. It sounds a little bit fuller sound than the earlier album, and I think that they go together. I don't really have much to say about that. It does keep up with musical trends a little bit more. You can tell it's followed what has happened in the decades since 2002. Uh, two decades, I suppose. I can't believe it's been that long. He does a little bit more with electronics in this one, while despite also keeping an acoustic guitar, and I want to mention just a few of the songs then that Moonlight Boulevard really sounds like the faint and it shifts from aggressive guitars over an electronic beat to a chant and then a sparse outro and there's also a couple of cover songs but from from Big Star which I know you mentioned before the Pandoras are also covered uh, notable also that Doleful Lions says they cover the Who and the Beach Boys one more song Wasted Crazy Lightning reminds me of the Caesars brand of garage rock oh well <laughs> well uh, certainly thanks for that insight I never would have thought of that but so that uh, that's all we have to say about doleful lions are we ready to give a rating my tendency is to say 10 on everything but i'm going to just say 9.5 <laughs> to be boring you know <laughs> say that it's your favorite album that you've heard of theirs yeah Could definitely the definitely the, my favorite album but uh like okay. i've listened to about half the album so far there's a lot more to catch up on. I've only heard a few, and I actually happened upon them when eMusic was giving the daily downloads. They were one of, I think it was the album, the Seven album. Anyway, I've only heard these two albums. Apparently, from their discography, also, Song Cyclops would uh, be need comparison to a previous album on, on Out of Obscurity from Pitch Black Manor with their theme of uh, monsters and, and that kind of things. In terms of comparing these two albums, then, recommended if you like for Out Like a Lamb, I think I hear the Beach Boys I mentioned, the Beatles... There's an easy one, Simon and Garfunkel. Less well-known ones, if you'd like singing Kumbaya, or I guess that's most too well-known. His Name is Alive hits me sometimes. Junip is a bridge between our two album picks today with Jose Gonzalez. Uh, also, Papas Fritas, I think I re- recommended once to you in terms of the uh, 60s pop sound of rock. Or 
or look homeward angel numbers. I mentioned the faint Caesars. I think look homeward angel numbers would be more of the of the many birthdays vibe. Did you get that yeah. at all? Or okay. yeah, that's a fair comparison. And from the obscurity quiz, Dandy Warhols and gentlemen also. Finally, my rankings. I recognize that Out Like a Lamb is a, a longer album, a much more ambitious one. It's just that for the reasons I mentioned, I'm just not really into the style. I don't appreciate the style as much. So I, I would give that one a six, and I would give the following 2021 album a seven. Fully enjoyable. Definitely going to listen to the newer album, Look Homeward Angel Numbers, more than I listen to Out Like a Lamb. Despite substantial difference, I just prefer to listen to, to the newer one. I don't know why. Probably and the style. He's been releasing a lot of albums. I mean, there's another album called The New Slushies, which I listen to, which is kind of more traditional rock to, you know, more hard beat kind of thing. That's been fun, too. We'll come back to this one when we've heard the whole discography. That's kind of a journey. Yeah. And like you said, if, we're to, if we start transitioning, then that each of the albums that I've heard definitely sounds like the same guy. And he's definitely trying out different shoes, different styles. I would say that's similar between that and Sabbath and Savalas. Do you have any comparisons between the two? No, I can't think of anything they have in common. <laughs> but, okay, uh, I, had to, I had to reach for these. I'll maybe say. give me a give me a moment, but I'll say what I think is similar while you're thinking. They are very different styles. I mean, rock and electronic. Yeah. Near the tween shall meet. Most often, they are both have a kind of a psychedelic atmosphere. Uh, yeah, that's true. Different means to it. It's kind of mellow, mid tempo, sometimes slow. The introduction to Saturday Mansions, which also has an outro at the end, uh, it could have been an entire Sabbath and Savala song, but it's abandoned abruptly for the acoustic guitar sunny flower power and i think that the intros and outros that doleful lions uses could generally be stretched into full songs and then that might be a, a sabbath and savala song at least until they become recognizable verse chorus verse songs anyway they, that's a nice production for for doleful lions there he's, he knows that there's you have to build around the chorus with something interesting yeah uh, that, later that, that's an interesting way to put it i like to describe it Savas and Savala says incidental music, a phrase that's used in classical music to describe just sort of like, oh, here's a ballet or here's an opera, but <laughs> here's some random music that we're including. <laughs> That's not really the heart of it, but it's just sort of stuff you're listening to while something else is going on. Okay, so like transitional scene Tran from scene yeah, but scene? Tran transitional nature, okay, kind of like soundtrack that. kind of music. I see. I think that the later albums, I don't know if you've heard many more other than the one we're going to talk about. They do owe a lot to '60s acoustic guitar folk too. The only one I listened to was La Jama. That's uh, one thing oh. that was on E Music. That's yeah. on E Music. No kidding. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's the only one I don't own, actually, so I guess I'll have to wish list oh. that one. <laughs> well, you can actually buy it. Do you, do you have any music subscription? <laughs> well, anyway. Well, I've kept it. That's, that's neither yeah. here nor there. Most most of our yeah. listeners are probably not, so yeah. <laughs> we've done our best to try to keep that uh, keep the pulse <laughs> pulsating at that site. I don't know if we're going to make it much longer. We'll see. The one thing that was off-putting about this album was there's not too many melodies or melodic mm. development. I recognize that it was a different paradigm of an album. I described in a humorous way that the Doleful Lions had boring rock, but it's sort of like they were songs and melodies and they, the melodies developed. And sometimes melodies were not the point, it seemed. Sometimes oh, no. it was oh. it was just sort of like a sound effect or creating a, a space. I was going on regular music and trying to figure out what genre this belonged to. And I was flipping through things and I came across a phrase called music 
concrete. Manipulation of recorded environmental sounds, mostly field recordings, natural sounds, and real-world noises. And mm-hmm. I said, that sounds about right. Maybe it's not, maybe it has some specific meaning. But mm-hmm. I got the sense that there's a lot of layering that's going on. And when I said it doesn't have like a lot of melodies or melodic development, there are some interesting melodies in the album, don't get me wrong. Even in La Lama, there was singing, actually. It did strike me that was just one component. I mean, the percussion, the beats, sound effects part was sometimes more important. Sometimes the tracks seem to flicker on and off. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of strategic pauses. And that was sort of the point. And and that's kind of why I'm really receptive to these kind of out there albums. And so I didn't really get into it. But I knew that, you know, there was something interesting going on. And actually, like I said, I didn't like that one. But then I listened to the other album and I said, oh, that's what it's about. Let me kind of go back Mm -hmm. and and listen to that uh, as well. I talk about individual songs. I've heard this Can phrase about vaporwave. <laughs> I, I might even put it in that category in a slight way, even though vaporwave is more about nostalgia and being retro in a humorous way, whereas this one is more serious and out to create an effect. I also thought that it was very jazzy. Didn't you find that? Oh, yes, yes. So we'll get into okay. genre too. And I think in terms of still comparing the two, which I know is different, Difficult. Both of them, I think, are doing their own thing without much regard to genre or passing trends. Musical trends aren't very important to either of these artists. And he says specifically, the Bandcamp blurb for Dolph Lyons says that he's specifically bucking trends. And so yeah. I think they both have their own sound that they're going for, and they're not, they don't care if it conforms to any sort of label that people can put on it. In further comparison, listen to the other albums, especially 2007's Golden Pollen. It has a lot more acoustic guitar folk going on in it. And so the, with the acoustic guitar, and you mentioned you, you listened to Apropat from 2004, and then there's also a, a shorter album, Manana, from 2004. It's a totally different album. I would still just barely, barely call it electronic. And then I think it takes 60s psychedelic guitar folk in two different specific directions. First of all, electronic, as I mentioned. And then secondly, also the Latin side of it with lyrics in Spanish. I don't know if you appreciated that or got to any of those songs. Well, yeah, uh, La Lama, yeah. I mean, obviously that was in Spanish, but uh, I, I didn't get any sense of a Latin feel from the album that we're going to talk about today. No, uh, not, not at all. This struck me as out there jazz. <laughs> sure, sure. We'll, we'll get into that in just a second. I just want to say that this is a side project of a very famous electronic hip-hop artist called Prefuse 73. Dolph Lyons also has apparently a side project called Color Sons, so I was not able to find any record of that online other than mentioned in one review. One final comparison before we talk about this album specifically. The importance of label support. These are another connection. They Both of their labels, Parasol and Hefty, which the uh, our pick album is on. They're both out of Illinois. Parasol is from Urbana and Hefty is in Chicago. And so I wonder, you, you're not a big fan of large record labels or indie labels necessarily, but I think label support is important. And I think the reputation of Sabbath and Savalas, Warp Label, Anti, and Stones Throw are all extremely reputable and highly touted record labels. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Warp, no. Anti, or I Stones mean, Throw? Uh, actually, I did, I did a little bit of browsing after looking at both bands. But yeah, I mean, Stones Throw, I have a couple albums. They look okay. like a very distinguished catalog. So not surprisingly, in the hierarchy of Illinois record labels or in Illinois 
music that everything there's a bunch of college towns in illinois but everything leads to chicago for the very serious art this is another example of that you can be from one of the college towns like doleful lions apparently was parasol records in urbana illinois champaign urbana area apparently still a record store too in order to get anyone to listen to you you kind of have to be heavily promoted and breathlessly urgent like you've got to hear this full of accolades and everything and neither of these is the kind of music where you say oh my gosh you have to drop everything and listen since it's so mellow pitchfork says that Jonathan Scott has a, quote, soothing lullaby voice, whereas Sabbath and Savalas make soothing electronic lullabies. Oh, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> should one rant and rave about mellow music or not? What do you think? Sure. It's a kind of a stupid rhetorical question. Of course we should. But uh, <laughs> okay, if but... you're in the right mood for it, depending upon how old you are, the context. For example, hearing the Doful Lions, I could hear that in an office somewhere. And it would be very pleasant. I would notice it. The other one I would hear maybe, God, I would hear it on the radio while I'm on a long road trip and on a college radio station and knowing that it's sort of out there. And I could enjoy it what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess context is important. I think pleasant is a very important word to talk about Doleful Lions. Yeah, pleasant rock. Like, uh, it's not going to offend people. And upsides and downsides, like anything. Can I ask you, in terms of your favorite mellow music, what is your favorite music for, well, I guess, for lack of a better word, to relax? And have you ever pushed it on any friends or family members? <laughs> and what did they react to? Probably have mentioned, that, well, this is sort of not the same. Uh, Goldfrapp? Oh, Goldfrapp. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but the, the, Polly Scattergood. Yeah, she's a wonderful singer. She's British. She has this eerie mystical voice, kind of like Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Stevie Nicks, I guess. Yeah. But and maybe she, she would find the comparison probably pretty humorous. But it says, ethereal, dark, intense, and quirky. And she does some great videos. But I had that phase of Polly Scattergood wanted to hear everything. And then somebody said on a YouTube comment, well, she's just imitating Goldfrapp. And I said, okay, well, I have to look at her. <laughs> and then Goldfrapp, they said, well, she's just imitating this Australian singer. I guess everybody's imitating everybody else. And rather than complaining about it, we should just use that excuse to broaden our horizons, musically speaking. There are different subtle flavors, just like the way anybody makes a dish is going to be subtly more spicy or sweet. <laughs> from song to song. You've pushed this on your friends and family and were they receptive or did they say Yeah, this is, but this nobody, is too cares. nobody cares. <laughs> and you friends know, and family, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess what do they know? you've had this experience before that some people just like to listen to music recreationally and they just like to have it in the background and they want to have a few that are familiar and some of them can be different, but they like it has to be familiar styles and hardly it's just Spotify is a way to share t- musical taste and it's sort of gone mainstream. But even YouTube playlists are semi-mainstream. Speaking of this album, there's a singer, no, it's not a singer, like a DJ, Farina, Mark Farina. Mm-hmm. And he has this series of albums he did in the 90s called Mushroom Jazz. Are you familiar? I've heard, I think, yeah, at least one of them. One of the things about Mushroom Jazz is I don't like albums that are just sound effects. Mm-hmm. I, and for example, the spoken voice, I find that incredibly distracting when you have that in the middle of a song. And mm-hmm. a lot of his things, they're spoken words, but everything is sort of at a low volume. Everything blends together very well. I could listen to Mushroom Jazz, those albums, forever just because they blend so well and this album sort of blends well even if there's a lot of dissonance even if 
we're changing registers to something like, oh, now here's a trumpet. Okay, here's some glitchy parts. I do think that it blends a lot more than I initially thought. Are we in danger, whether it's soft, pleasant rock or hip-hop beats or down-tempo electronica, which is what I would call this, our, our second pick, are we in danger of falling into bass functionalism, where I want to put this on, I'm going to relax, and the, I'm going to chill out. The chill-outification of music playlists, <laughs> the scourge of Spotify and the future future present, is, and everything's just going to be a faceless, mushy mass of, I'm too stressed right now, I need to put on something soft and quiet background music. I'm sure, sure you've talked about this before in the podcast, how Spotify and other services, you can choose a mood and then music will just magically appear that reinforce that mood. <laughs> is that how the casual listener is going to hear anything new ever again? And rather than seeking out a, a style of music or uh, an artist or a song that they heard that they liked. Yeah. Right? Is, is, that, is that what the youth is going to do? <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately. Oh, but, uh, that youth. No, I, I mean, shake my fist at them. <laughs> maybe that's one of the things that's cool about, I think it started in the 90s. Maybe it's long form jazz because some of those jazz concerts go on forever. I remember how much my mind was blown when I was listening to Afrobeat songs. Some of those songs last forever. They last you know, an hour. <laughs> well, the Fela Kuti. Some of those oh, songs are like an entire album, one song. Well, it's and, trance-inducing at that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you have that big of a canvas, you can have smaller moments, you can have changes, you can have good transitions, you can kind of vary the style. You have to, you have to. I mean, that's one thing I did appreciate about some of the tracks here is that there was kind of a start, a change, and then kind of a refrain so you sort of recognize you're going in some direction, even if, if it feels sort of random. For example, the second track, Binoculars, that was very melodic in, in contrast to what I said uh, before. But even though it was downbeat, even though it was slow and it was choppy at parts, I sort of recognize that, oh, yeah, I, I can enjoy the journey more so than maybe that first thing. Hey, let me give the specs for the album, then we can get into okay. some specific songs. So the, our second pick, as we've mentioned, is another difficult title to remember. Folk Songs for Trains, Trees, and Honey by Sabbath and Savalas. It's from the turn of the century, 2000 exactly, nine tracks, 31 minutes. It is on the Hefty label uh, out of Chicago. And I looked at the Hefty label myself and I, with their catalog, very limited. I think I probably own two-thirds of the catalog of Hefty. I mean, it's a, oh, wow. one of my favorite labels. Uh, surprised me. They are on all music and they have 11 ratings, so... How did you obtain Hefty Records? They tend to be just that in that nether region, that gray area of not very famous, but well critically acclaimed. And so these kinds of things tend to fall into the bargain bins or record stores don't know what to do with them. They say, I've never heard of this, so I'll put it in the bargain bin, in the dollar bin. And so a lot of them ended up there and they're great. <laughs> okay. So check out the entire Hefty catalog if you like this. It's mostly, again, soft, down-tempo electronica, some post-rock, experimental, not pop. I would say not a pop label, but yeah. I do like them. Down tempo, I didn't really understand what that was, or I didn't really think about it, and then suddenly I realized I liked it. I would seek it out. And when would you say down tempo became big? Well, you I mean, you mentioned also downbeat, which I think kind of dates you to the '90s. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> when electronic 
when electronic was just getting out of its you know techno phase basically when all electronic yeah. music was techno back in the 80s or in the early 90s and then it started slowly branching out into all the subgenres as technology advanced i think that was pretty key earliest down tempo albums I, I couldn't imagine before the mid 90s happening and i'll mention you know obviously the superstars now are bonobo and thievery corporation but uh, when they exactly started i'd say it really hit the big time early 21st century it really came into its own boards of yeah, Canada, I think is yeah. maybe the other biggest name in that. It also kind of crossover with IDM and experimentation there. And I'll, yeah, I'll and actually that, that, that's track. where I, my favorite reference is I listen to a lot of trance and IDM and and I guess after a while it becomes monotonous. You have to do down tempo just to introduce something different to it. But sure, uh, sure. I never would have expected that I would get into down tempo stuff. And I, I do. And maybe it's a matter of being older. Who knows? But <laughs> Yeah, we can't handle the hard stuff anymore, maybe. I don't know. We can't Side handle project. our liquor anymore. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. Too many hangovers. Not for me, though. So, yeah, Preview 73, are you at all familiar with them? I am as of today. I discovered them on Wikipedia a couple hours ago. <laughs> so, not okay, really. So they, were, they were one of the biggest names on Warp, one of the best electronic music labels that since branched out into being all all things avant-garde and cutting edge and critically acclaimed. Basically, Warp may be one of the greatest for music snobs of all genres now, Warp label. Uh, they were really big in the early 2000s and mid-2000s. Basically, uh, put glitch hop on the map, in my view, in which uh, hip-hop music, is, which is already based upon samples, is further cut down and uh, into incomprehensible little grunts and yelps, not even completing a, a word or even or even a phrase a totally new style of music you could say he invented the man responsible is Guillermo Scott Heron which must be a pun that is his parents an Irish and Cuban parents named him that to be close to the creator of Whitey on the Moon by famous poet Gil Scott Heron are you familiar with Whitey on the yes. Moon or Gil Scott Heron yeah yeah so I mean pretty pretty funny name Guillermo Scott Heron <laughs> I thought it's funny maybe maybe it's not funny I saw a live performance of Prefuse 73 in either 2009 or 2010 in New York City, but I don't remember very much of it. And I think that's a problem with electronic music is live performances. They're not very compelling stage presences most of the time, just either dancing to the beat or turning knobs with their headphones on. What do you think? seen a lot of live electronic music yeah i mean it's sort of if you're an old fogey you you don't really go to many of these i used to go to a lot of <laughs> south by southwest of events where they'd have djs and not just your run-of-the-mill djs but you know really cutting edge kind of avant-garde they would always have these fancy things so i attended a few i'm not sure i was paying that much attention i actually i probably was paying attention but the last album by him was 2018's sacrifices which i would say is more similar to this album than all previous sabbath and savalas albums and in terms of genre the kind of music this is all music guide says it's between post-rock and idm which i think works for this album but not the rest of them again the rest of the the Savas and Savalas is is a lot folksier, a lot more Latin with, the, with, yeah, yeah. with sung lyrics and so on. Um, Pitchfork, which in 
this 2000 in its infancy, uh, Pitchfork apparently used to review albums without attribution, like who is the reviewer. So this album is one of its, presumably one of the earlier examples of a Pitchfork review. It's an uncredited review and it compares it, I think, totally wrongly, <laughs> totally wrongly to two all-time greats of ambient music, which are Global Communication and The Orb's Ultra Adventures Beyond the Ultra World. Would you call this ambient or not? Funny you mention that because I was trying to play, say, is this ambient music? It's not really because ambient music is more about stasis. And there's a little bit of that in that. And the word that I kind of fixated upon was aleatoric music. Aleatoric? Uh, I've never heard of that. What is that? Oh, you know, oh, it's, it means random, but randomness. Oh, okay. But uh, John Cage, that was his big thing, that he mm-hmm. would have all these fancy sort of avant-garde things, but there'd always be pauses. There'd always be abrasive transitions mm-hmm. and that things would disappear and then come back again. That's kind of what I hear just... <laughs> You're waiting, and the pauses are are significant. That's what I would identify as similar. So the quality is not in the virtuosity of the musicianship by any means, but in the artfulness of the layering? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But also that layering is not something that John Cage does. He's not not really polyphonic in any sense of the word. I'm speaking as a layman. Maybe, you know, he's written more complex things, but he's playing around with expectations a lot. Mm -hmm. That's what I see the analogy is here. Value in being unpredictable. I think there's two things that people maybe a decade or two older than me have a real trouble with in music is that one is just anything electronic in general, and the other is repetition. How how anybody deals with that is it's, I don't know if I could recommend it for anybody. I'm glad you're open-minded and don't have that problem, but I, I know a lot of people would just listen and say this is just as my great grandfather would call it <laughs> washing machine music yeah bravo <laughs> thanks great grandpa now i don't know how you mean that but as i would interpret it that the washing machine is producing the music it's listening to the tone of the washing machine banging against the wall and hearing the going back and forth and finding musical qualities in that could that be what you're speaking of or are you speaking of only i mean that, that he meant it as a derogatory insult and I, I'm saying hey, you know there, there might be something to that if you think yeah, of yeah, all, yeah, yeah. all the artists that have sampled machines and so on and I'm, I'm thinking of and they did uh, Supreme Balloon uh, Matmos you're familiar with Matmos nope nope I think they're on uh, another extremely snobby label of Matador which uh, okay. Okay. does a lot of great stuff Matmos is very famous for I think they sampled surgery sounds they used really retro keyboards on one album but anyway that technique of using non musical sources and rearranging them electronically and so that they at least resemble something like music. Uh, they did a folk album called The West. Quasi-Objects, I think, is, a, is another famous one from Matmos. And that's uh, why we really can't call it ambient music. I mean, even though it's trying to capture the natural beauty and sound, I don't think it has any interest in uh, incorporating mechanical noises or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more about, you know, like I said, the focus and the meditational quality of music. I think Philip Glass does a lot of that, though. He's right up the... Stephen the, Steve the, Reich and Philip Glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, they, they get they get t- targeted pigeonholed in the minimalist stuff. And I don't... This is definitely not minimalist. And ambient doesn't have to be minimalist either, I think. Minimalist music in Philip Glass, at least, is really confrontational when he, on his, like, Koyaanisqatsky soundtrack. It's right in your face and very 
aggressive, I would even say. Ambient is an entirely different thing. And whenever there's a beat, that's usually my dividing line. If there's a beat, it's not ambient, period. And so this Pitchfork review, the uncredited one for this album, as usual, it eventually goes off the rails. This is the kind of down-temporal electronica on, on the loungy side, but with more going on in it that might be called ambient by folks who have no idea what ambient music is. I think a part of it is, I'm not familiar with every every genre out there, and a lot of people don't know how to describe these kinds of styles. It's very hard. Mm. Oh, for sure. And for example, I would have never occurred to me to use the word glitch to describe something, but when somebody labeled some piece of sound like that, I said, oh yeah, that sounds really glitchy. And, you know, people know what is scratchy. So I guess we have to develop a vocabulary of our description. Maybe musicians don't have to worry about that as much as people like you and me who are more critical and more verbal. Sure, sure. It helps to have the right terms in any case. And I I don't think it's objective is the problem. It's like, you know, you can find the prime example of anything and then find someone who says that's not even what you think it is. So that's the danger that we fall into. We also have trouble with instrumentals, too. Like, what's the point of an instrumental? Are we, again, chilling out? Are we reading to it? Or are we, you know, trying to experiment? And I think this does a little bit of all of that. And in terms of concerts, when you think of instrumental music in a concert, either you've got classical or jazz, those are probably the most most common instrumental sounds, but when you think of instrumental electronic or instrumental rock, it's like, is what a, who is there an audience for that? There's definitely not a commercial market for it. Nobody buys it. Some some jazz is hard to listen to, can be kind of furious sounding in a way. And and certainly in classical music, you have a lot of avant-garde styles that people don't warm up to, but I could listen to it. You know, when you're in the privacy of your own home, you can get used to the style and then go to a concert and then get stuck out of it. I mean, now that I mm-hmm. have listened to this at home a while, maybe if this person were playing a concert, I could enjoy it. It might be too harsh in person, but hmm. maybe that's the point. If you go to a concert where people are trying to produce a sound and it sounds ugly, you could leave, I guess, it's at a <laughs> restaurant or a club. Yeah. yeah. And that was a great so. thing about going to festivals or going to like a uh, conference like South by Southwest is that if you didn't like What's in room one, you go to room two or, you know, go to club, club three. And, mm-hmm. and that's probably the way that a lot of the people are experiencing music by going to these festivals. Oh, yeah. You keep walking until something catches your fancy, for sure. I don't know if you're back to instrumental music concerts and whether they're actually serious on the level of classical or jazz. I think most people would say that they're not and not also appreciated by pop audiences. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation in terms of how you get that kind of music out there and listen to. Houston had a lot of international festivals every year for 20 years, and they had so much going on. And they always had one track that that was jazzy, avant-garde, and nobody would go to them, and those are the ones I went to. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of ironic that the headliners usually come at the last of the performance, and usually mm-hmm. the ones that they have less confidence about are at the very beginning, and yet you can find the most interesting stuff at the, at the beginning for these kind of festivals. I really have a nostalgia about going to these festivals. For me, they were free or very it cost practically nothing, and I would spend all day at them and now i guess we do have that experience but it's become very commercialized and they certainly didn't have this jazz fusion and ethnic pop or ethnic jazz that you know i was able to get live performances for well we can always say we were there when we had it the best and you just
just the kids these days or something. I don't know. I mean, when I first listened to this, it sounded jazzy. It sounded like the one third or fourth of it you could play and you say, oh, that's that's like jazz. That's like jazz fusion. There's a groove. It Maybe it's not improvisational, but... I don't think so, no. It definitely felt like we were starting with something and then just bringing into an unexpected direction. Yeah. Being unpredictable again is a virtue, yeah. I think. Yeah. So taking a style that is repetitive and you think, okay, I understand this. Maybe I don't even want to listen to the whole thing if it's going to repeat itself the many times. But then, as you mentioned, going in a direction or adding an instrument that, well, I didn't expect that, or even adding noise, I think, are found sounds and uh, field recordings, as you mentioned, for Music Concrete. Uh, those are all tricks of the trade, I guess, that are happening. To be honest, I got impatient at points of this album, especially the first mm-hmm. time of listening. It was like, when are we going to actually have the songs? <laughs> So it takes some wading into. You have to, it kind of has to get you like quicksand or something almost. And there was one, I think it was called F Ride to Blues. What was that Let me was get called? To that. Let me get to that. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was plus blues. And, and I thought that was kind of groovy, kind of jazzy. And I kind of said, okay, that's a song, you know, using it in a <laughs> generic sense. But at some but, point, you, you can be patient up to a point, but then you want this vegetarian diet kind of sucks. When when are they going to serve the steak? Hey, hey, come on. You're, you're hitting close to home there. Uh, <laughs> are you vegetarian? Are you vegetarian? I'm, I'm eating, yes, I am. I am. Okay. And it, there is a ton of great food over here in Asia, just not in the uh, States. No, I said it, it's just a comparison. But anyway. I understand. No, no offense taken. I, I get it. It's not going to excite people. And I think that's what a lot of people think music is for parties. Music is for, you know, letting it all hang out and being exciting and that's just not what this this does i'm thinking of a shout out for all of my fellow millennials and zennials out there the animated cartoon series bojack horseman have you ever seen it oh yeah Great i think music. there's a scene there's a scene in there yeah they use music very well in it and there's a concert scene where the uh, after the one of the vocalists for a band is out for some reason i can't remember they said okay from now on we're all instrumentals one single audience member in the crowd goes woo yeah instrumentals <laughs> <laughs> And it just struck me as like, yeah, that's ever going to happen. And that that pretty much epitomizes the problem of like, nobody wants this unless it's relaxation music. If you want to relax, people have their go-to styles and songs, and it's not generally electronic or rock. Although this album should change that. This is exemplary. And individual songs, you mentioned F-Ride plus Blues. That one really reminded me of Boards of Canada plus a little bit more funk. And again, their composition secret. They put little subtle sounds in there in the mix to reward repeat listening. I think Boards of Canada has been on the record for saying that's their secret. You don't notice it the first time and then on repeat listening you say, yeah, that kind of got stuck in my head even though it's not music. And I, I remember what follows what sound, even non-musical elements in the first one. Are you familiar with Merzbau, Japanese no. noise band? One no. of the arguably the most famous noise artist from Japan. And I could not get into him. And they, they have an album called Merzbient. Normally they're really aggressive, just electronic grating Lou Reed's metal machine music, but <laughs> an entire discography the size of Doleful Lions plus of Montreal put together. Merzbau. I can't recommend them. <laughs> and so I tried their softest stuff that is more on the ambient side and it's still noise the first uh, the song transportation theme 
with its electronic buzzsaw very low in the mix, that's another good example of like, you know, there's something else to this that I'm not hearing unless I, I listen carefully and maybe wouldn't like it most people, but it's definitely something that adds. Yeah, Let adds me ask to you it, this. Right? This is a generational question. What was the kind of music that you grew up with that you knew your parents hated and you loved it for precisely that reason? For me, oh, I mean, heavy metal, kiss, punk music was sort of popular, but I didn't really hear very much punk when I was growing up, but heavy metal was just and it, not just because of the drug or whatever, just because it just was noise. And so what mm-hmm. would you call the, the things that you knew your parents would never go for? What kind of music? With also that would annoy your teachers and that, you know, that yeah, just, yeah. you just don't get it, man. Yeah, it, it was definitely electronic. It was this, you know, it was basically, you know, I'm looping looping some certain sounds and this is not real <laughs> these guys don't know how to play their instruments uh, they're not even real instruments it's just keyboards it's just looping sounds it's, so electronic music was that for me definitely okay okay yeah and that was well, would you say that's the early 90s mid 90s sure uh, sure because mid, mid, mid 90s yeah yeah that was sort of when there were a lot of experiments Fatboy slim was he was the first one that i'd heard of that was doing it but i'm sure there are other people doing it but the pop breakthrough example yes yes he always wanted to be the music that was playing at a party and on, at least in the states certainly i don't think electronic music didn't really make it into parties and that uh, he changed that so I'll give him credit the big beat era I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Well, now that I have you in Thailand, are there any kind of styles of music that people in, in Thailand find unlistenable, you know, that Westerners <laughs> would find quite pleasant? If you think of Mexican salsa music, there are Southeast Asian versions of that that are subtly different from country to country. And Thailand definitely, definitely has that that I personally am not fond of. And then I think it's most other countries, foreign countries, they basically have their own version of any Western genre. There's, you know, Thai rock and Thai hip hop and et cetera. But yeah, it does, yeah. in terms of specialty, what's special in Thailand here, it's it's really like keyboard Casio beat kind of waltz that you can slowly dance to. It's it's the music of the people, you know, like good for people working in the fields and in California. I want my berries and you can listen to your salsa music. That all sounds the same to me, just to be a little bit racist. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, punk music is very rebellious and wants to be noisy. Even some of this sort of high energy top 40 music is so alive and so energetic that you just have to turn it down after a while. I mean, <laughs> Gangnam Style, you can listen to Gangnam Style kind of music and it's quite fun. But if that's all you listen to, it would drive you crazy, I'm sure. I'm sure it would. I think I've listened to Gangnam Style all of twice. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't need to again. You know, what you like to listen to and what turns you off. I think we, we still have yet to do an all-out hating on any different styles or artists or episode and maybe sometime in the future. But for so many people, I think it would be, like you said, heavy metal, punk, electronic, too much repetition, too loud. People are easily offended, whether it's music or political views. <laughs> other songs, I don't know if you have any other songs you want to mention. I, I, I'll get to mine. Like I said, I like the binoculars and F-Ride plus blues was were very traditional, very easy, very accessible, I guess. The others were just sort of like random and kind of interesting. They had either flickering qualities that they would come and go. And it was kind of like trip hop in a way. 
Oh, for sure. Uh, that you'd have kind of a hard beat sometimes, I guess. That's really what I should have mentioned in terms of where down tempo came from. If you take the vocals away from trip hop, what you've basically got is down tempo electronica. Binoculars, you mentioned a couple times. I think that's the only one I would actually call glitchy in terms of its bass. Most of the other ones, I, I think the jazz comes from. Anytime you hear the, the double bass being plucked, I think that's where the jazz feeling comes from. And there's lots of flutes on that one too, which is nice. The conditioning is straight up lounge. Would you consider Thievery Corporation to be lounge music or, or not really? Uh, sure, I guess so. <laughs> okay. Well, they, they run right a label. Yeah. They run a label whose name you should appreciate. Their label name is ESL Music. So oh, really? <laughs> we've, both done some, we've both done some TEFL, and uh, so we should like the label name. It actually stands for 18th Street Music out of Washington, D.C. Another great one that you can see the logo has a lounge chair, and they do a full stable of lounge music on an electronic vein. So check yeah, anything out. Lounge music on, out of the day, definitely, and it's probably still around. But Whether you're going for the kitsch or whether you're going for more of the, you know, hip, down-tempo, cool, I don't know, club, after-party music. I don't know if that's the actual term. That would be conditioning. Then also, as you mentioned, F-Ride Plus Blues, I imagine. Paolo is the last one I want to mention because other AMG mentioned post-rock, and I don't hear it anywhere except on Paolo with the guitars. And then that one I can hear elements of Tortoise and also We. Do you know Tortoise you must be familiar with, yes? Nope. Don't know Tortoise. Okay, well, that's there. The post-rock jazz du jour. Band, well, good, good, uh, I think, good. out of Chicago. And also, We UI, I think, also has Chicago roots. They're more of a guitar, post-rock, instrumental. But again, lots to compare them to. And uh, we could, you know, go in depth on how we know the good stuff from the bad stuff. I'm not sure if you're that interested, though. <laughs> Away from the podcast, maybe. Another time. Sure, sure. I'm ready to conclude. The other... Sabbath and Savalas albums I would recommend for more fans of Devendra Bonhart and, and Cass McCombs, kind of more modern folksy stuff, but in Spanish. Would you have any other recommended bands or style or artists for this? I was just going to say, and it's not really an exact corresponding, but I think that Mark Farina, mushroom jazz guy, I see more jazz than any electronica or trip hop in, in this. Jazz plus special noises and sound effects. Well, I can... Uh, list a whole bunch I think are much more jazzy than this but I think in terms of a niche within a subgenre sort of a thing <laughs> I won't push on you unless you really like it are you ready to give a rating sure what do you think okay well I'm not going to give a 10 because I'm going to give a 7.5 but wow that's not really that I don't like it. It's really, mm-hmm. I mean, it's no, I mean, I, I could get, I started with a three and uh, now, <laughs> I'm way seven, back up. now I'm at a 7.5 and tr- check back with me in a week and maybe I'll even like it more. I, it's definitely grown on me a lot. I, I didn't really get into the, at the beginning and now I, now I can enjoy that. It's more than just jazz. It's more than just down temple stuff. Well, gosh, a 7.5 still seems like, you know, for me, that's like me very Really giving above a five. It's yeah. <laughs> lowest, I've, <laughs> lowest I've heard from you that I can recall. All right. I'm going to go the opposite way and, and say this is an excellent early example of where it all came together with electronic and uh, more natural sounding real instruments fusing together, which wasn't always easy in the 90s. And I think this is one of the best early examples of that style of loungy, jazzy, down-tempo electronic. And I like his main project, Preview 73, a lot, but I think I find this a lot more listenable. And I've probably heard this album upwards of a dozen times. Really? You know, I think it's it's good for reading and relaxation, and I, I read a lot, so 
when I need to concentrate on something and not get stressed out, basically this does it all. So Believe I it or not, it. the other one, the La Llama, I found a lot more interesting, a lot more busy. And well, there's more, there's vocals. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, vocals yeah. versus instrumental. As soon as yeah. you take that leap, you're, you're in a totally different headspace, yeah. a totally different purpose if you want to go functionalist. You yeah. could actually, you know, sing along or have it be some kind of weird take on pop, which is never going to happen for an instrumental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, so I, I give it an eight out of ten. Bravo, bravo. Maybe the first time I've, I've gone higher than you on anything, but anyway. <laughs> thank you for your input. I, I gather it must be pretty late over there. Yes, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Sure thing. Okay, let's conclude there. Thanks for listening to Out of Obscurity. Tune in next time. 